Hello and welcome to another episode of PodPit, the podcast about podcasts, and I'm your host, George Grimwood. Our guest today is Scott Ockerman, the host of Comedy Bang Bang and co-founder of Earwolf, the comedy podcasting network. Comedy Bang Bang, formerly known as Comedy Death Ray Radio, is one of the first podcasts of which I became an avid listener. Launched in 2009, the show blends conversation, improvisation, games and occasionally music. And in just over a year, it became the flagship podcast for Earwolf, a network which has expanded exponentially over the years in terms of creative content. It was through the evolution of Earwolf, and by extension, the way in which Comedy Bang Bang has since proven how far a podcast can go, with live tours, radio, albums, merchandise, live video streaming, and now a television series nearing 100 episodes, that I was inspired to develop a network here in the UK. To put it bluntly, without Earwolf, the Podnose Network wouldn't exist. Via Midroll Media, Wolf Pop, a sister network to Earwolf, launched this year, focusing more so on pop culture podcasts relating to film, literature, music and games. Earwolf and Wolf Pop are now also part of Howl.fm, the premium podcasting service through which you can check out a huge catalogue of archived podcasts from both networks and beyond. Not only that, there are a fine range of podcasts exclusive to Howl.fm. One of the hardest working people in podcasting, Scott Ockerman, very kindly met with me on a scorching day in Los Angeles at Musso and Frank Grill on Hollywood Boulevard. And if you listen to our last episode, you may be relieved to know that this time it was indeed open. We sat and spoke about comedy, Earwolf, Comedy Bang Bang and how, as well as Scott's own experiences in the ever-evolving world of podcasting as a creative medium. Scott, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you enjoying um, 1950s Hollywood? It's uh, a a throwback to definitely a different era. I don't know whether it's a better era, but uh, yeah, it's a wonderful place. Musso and Franks. I've been here maybe four times as long as I've lived in Hollywood and always a pleasure. First time you've done a podcast in Musso and Franks? Definitely the first time I've ever done something so modern in such a throwback environment, so... Yes, it's quite a clash to see a microphone in this place. Oh, so so jarring, so anachronistic. Well, um, one of, one of the main reasons I was tempted to do so was uh, I heard apparently there's only been ever one performance in here. Oh, really? What's that? Greg Proops. Oh, okay. Apparently so. Yeah. What, what did he perform? I think he did a stand-up. It was in one of the booths, and he stood, and they removed the table, and then people kind of all gathered around. Oh, interesting. Okay, I didn't hear about that, but fantastic. Yeah, so I thought I'll follow suit. Okay, you're the new Greg Proops. I'm the new Greg Proops. Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, going to be catching up with him when he's in London next. Um, so I have my little red book, and uh, I've been taking... Every great interviewer needs a little red book, so I'm glad you finally pulled it out. Well, it's it's the only thing I'll be pulling out this... <laughs> oh, boy. Well, well, Uh-oh. The night is young. Um, so, to start off, this is a question, a couple of questions that I ask every everyone I interview, um, all three of them so far. And uh, the first one is, because in the UK, podcasting is still about 10 years behind in comparison, <laughs> um, to you, what is a podcast? A podcast to me is a form of uh, audio, sometimes visual entertainment that is available upon demand. So uh, it can be a lot like a radio program or it can be a lot like a television program. But the interesting part of a podcast is instead of listening to the radio uh, and hoping to hear something that you want to hear, it's available to you at the press of a button. 
So my podcast in particular, a lot of people listen to on the way to work, uh, much like people used to listen to the radio in order to sort of take their minds off their commutes. Um, but now instead of listening to a radio station and hoping that you hear that song that you like or or trying to sift through a, b- a bunch of commercials while, while a DJ talks, it's it's really just, you know, people can focus in on what they want to listen to and feed their own interests in a, in a way that radio never w- uh, allowed them to. And when did you become so first aware of the medium of podcasting? I think it was in the early 2000s, maybe. Um, I kind of feel like Ricky Gervais was maybe one of the first podcasts that I'd ever really heard of. And my friend Jimmy Pardo started one long before any of us started. And also Matt Belknap, another friend of mine who is on the Never Not Funny, he had a podcast before anyone I knew had one, um, and that was based on his website, A Special Thing. And it was, I, I believe it was called A Special Thing Radio, where he would interview comedians. And he interviewed me for that. And all I really recall is him um, bringing over a ton of equipment and taking a long time to set it up. And then I recorded it, and I didn't really hear any feedback from it because it seemed like no one was listening. So that seemed to me to be what podcasting was all about back in the 2000s. It was probably the mid-2000s. was sort of a niche thing that not a lot of people listen to that you, um, if you ever were to put one out, maybe a few hundred people would listen to it and a smattering of people would listen to it and so it didn't really seem a lot like something that was worth focusing on for a lot of comedians back in the early days and that's obviously changed since then so because you were interviewed on a special thing with matt belknap did you actively go and seek to listen to it or did you stumble across like your first ever podcast listen i don't really listen to the stuff that i do so i didn't seek out listening to it i believe probably the first one I ever heard was Never Not Funny with Jimmy Pardo because I was on that and I listened to one in order to prep for what it was like um, before I was on it so and then I sort of got it I was like oh I understand what this is Um, you know and the the process of figuring out how to listen to it and how to transfer it to my iPod back you know in the mid 2000s one would have to download it first from iTunes and then sync your iPod to it and transfer it to your iPod and then figure out a way to play it, you know, in your car somehow. Um, back then, uh, I think I had like a radio transmitter that I plugged into my iPod that would transmit it to the radio, you know, so it was very complicated back then. Nowadays, it's so much easier. You can just stream things from your phone and um, stream it, you know, right from the website. So it was it was a bit more of an ordeal to try to listen to them back then. And outside of Earwolf and Wolf Pop and Howl, um, are there any particular podcasts that you actively listen to now? You know, I think Doug Loves Movies is one that I've been listening to for a long time. He, you know, started uh, his podcast before I started my podcast. And Never Not Funny wasn't always on Earwolf, so that was one that I would listen to. Um, I'm really very far behind on listening to podcasts. I never even listened to Serial as much as people loved it. So it, it's something that I'm pretty far behind on because I've been mainly just working so much. I don't have really, I don't have a long commute and I'm working, you know, 10, 12 hours a day. So it's, you know, it's not really something that I have a ton of time for right now while I'm working on the TV show. Although Serial is obviously true crime and there's no sense of humor in it right in any capacity what freedoms and limitations can come from the medium of podcasting in relation to comedy 
in relation to comedy it's it's been just such a boon to comedians i i was saying this the other day um i really think the invention of the podcast is the most significant invention to happen to comedy since the invention of the television um you saw when the invention of television came about comedians who were used to performing on stages and and having to tour a lot and do vaudeville and and um do the circuit uh, suddenly they could go on a television show and get a massive audience and be known, be well-known, and it really helped out their touring from that. And and it was just so incredibly significant to reach that amount of people. And that's what podcasting is like now for comedians. Um, a comedian who would normally have to do sort of the comedy club circuit out here in, in the States which would be finding a comedy club that had heard of you and who would book you and then performing to a bunch of strangers who had never heard of you before who were just out to go see a night of comedy and trying to win them over. Um, that's changed now to where comedians can have a podcast, can distribute it to a massive audience um, all over the world and have people genuinely interested in what they're trying to say um, so that now when one tours one can get a massive audience in there that are really interested in what they're saying, which is so much better for comedy than performing in front of strangers. And I suppose two of the most popular types of comedy used in podcasting are improv and general conversation. What are your influences in comedy? When I first started the show, I thought that it was going to be um, just kind of a conversational show, a lot like Never Not Funny in a way. Um, that was one of my influences. And I thought basically what I was going to do, I was doing, I was um, had a live show at the UCB Theater here in Los Angeles at the same time on Tuesday nights. And my show was on Fridays, broadcast on the radio and then podcast after that. And what I was going to do with it was just have the people who were going to be on the show that Tuesday to sort of promote the live show. Um, in sort of more of an interview um, fashion. And so the first three shows that I did were very kind of dry talking about comedy a lot, sort of what WTF and I mean, WTF isn't dry, but it was it talks about the process of comedy a lot. And then because I was doing it at a radio station or the programming director came up to me and said, you know, I, I'm not sure our, our audience is interested in the making of comedy as much as they're interested in hearing comedy. And I said, oh, yeah, well, that's probably more fun for me anyway. And so then my show turned into more of an entertainment show. So that's the difference, I think, between my show and some of the early comedy shows. The early comedy shows were a lot like WTF, which became the most famous of them, talking about the process of comedy and, and what it's like to be a comedian and the background and the history and biographical stuff. And, and mine really is just like we do comedy on the show. I have... Uh, improvisers on and and celebrities and we actually perform comedy so i think a lot of my influences in that realm were things like mel brooks and carl reiner the 2000 year old man was really big i'm i'm sort of i play the carl reiner role on my show where i'm the straight man setting up questions for the crazy people the mel brooks's that i have on to answer that's really one of my biggest influences i would say is like Carl Reiner is just as funny as Mel Brooks, um, but he's knowing when to lay out and he's knowing what questions to ask. He's knowing what buttons to push. That's the role that I play on my show. And I think it's the maybe the the, you know, purest antecedent of what I do on my show. And on your show, you have a variation and a blend of different 
characters as well as real people playing themselves. Right. And in that respect, there's also room, and as there has been on Earwolf, on the Earwolf Network and beyond, to have these characters and real people then have their own spin-off shows. Yes. And Comedy Bang Bang has explored sort of many creative mediums in itself, uh, going from stages, Comedy Death Ray, radio, podcast, extending to the network with the spin-offs and the connected shows, a live stream for a little while, a te- right. television show, and now it's part of a premium service, um, Howl, Howl.fm. And which has been named as the Netflix Netflix of uh, podcasts. Who named it that? <laughs> it appeared in a Marin uh, oh, okay. interview, I believe. Oh, great. Okay. Well, great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether he said it personally, but it was it was in sort of on the in the title. Hey, as long as one person names it that, yeah, I'm happy. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Um, great. Are there any other creative mediums in that respect in which the show could be explored beyond those ones listed? For a while, I was talking about doing a comic book. That was kind of early on in the in the days and it was more based on the talent pool from which I draw so when it was announced it was going to have people like Patton Oswalt and Brian Posehn and Sarah Silverman and Zach Galifianakis sort of writing uh, stories for this humor stories for a comic book but the name Comedy Bang Bang now kind of means something else especially with a television show that's popular that I think if I'd, I did a comic book, it would have to star me and it would have to be sort of set in the realm of the television show or the podcast with the characters. But I'm I'm interested in doing something um, with that. I, I talked to Image about it at one point and, and, you know, it's basically I could do it if I wanted to do it or had the time to do it. <laughs> Com- um, comic Bang Bang. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then, uh, you know, I mean, that's the interesting thing about the podcast medium is... Sometimes it's visual and could it's it's basically just kind of I hate this word but content. Um, so you know what is the future of that? Um, I, I really I enjoyed the live stream shows that we had to discontinue, and I think that possibly could be the future live live stream shows, um, which are a little more interactive with the audience. You know, people like to see us performing the shows and like to see the strings behind them and the looks on our faces while we do them, you know? So that's something interesting. I'm, I'm probably going to get back to doing a tour next year. So, you know, there's all sorts of different avenues and ones that haven't even been invented yet. I think that, that comedy bang bang could explore. Personally, for me, the thrill of the live stream as well was the, you had this sort of canonistic crossover between the TV show and, and the podcast because, there are people who know they're being seen, and so either having to dress up in the studio right. and which you know Andy Daly wouldn't do when he did it, but um, yeah, Paul F. Tompkins loves to put on costumes, so he would dress up. I think he was the first one to dress up and actually do a character, which then made everyone else sort of dress up around him. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to do, and I think you know when I when we were doing it, I definitely was watching the reaction to it online going oh this is really interesting because it affected the show the interactive nature of it affected the show and we were taking questions and and incorporating what was happening with the audience live into it and i really think there's something there that's really interesting it's very expensive to do um and the company that was doing it with us decided not to do it anymore which is why we don't but um there's something very interesting about it if the costs can come down Specifically, I would more than happily watch the uh, Cake Boss 100-yard stare Mm -hmm. on loop forever. (laughs) But in terms of bringing people onto the show, how do you scout the talent? How do you find people to come on? Is it just word of mouth? Well, back when I first started it, again, I was doing the live show on Tuesdays. And so I was seeing everybody on a regular basis. And I, I really knew 
the um, Los Angeles comedians very, very well. When I got too busy to do that show and I had to phase it out after, I believe, three years into the podcast, I had to phase it out. And, and towards the end of that show, I was a little bit on autopilot, not necessarily seeing as much new talent as I did. It really is something where... And I, 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 this happened to me during the live show. You know, when we started, we did the live show for 10 years. And when we started, it was a group of people who all hung around all the time and did shows together all the time. It was Zach Galifianakis and Bob Odenkirk and Louis C.K. and Sarah Silverman. And, and these people that within a couple of years after starting that live show got very, very busy in their careers and could no longer do it on a regular basis anymore. So then a new crop of people came in the you know the anthony jeselniks and bj novak and morgan murphy and dan mintz and then so then we had those people on for a while um and and then you know those people all got jobs and got very busy and then nick kroll and paul Shear and seth morris and all those people came in and it's just kind of it's a wave of you have to know that these people that you are championing and that you have on the show are going to get very busy because they're all very talented. And so you have to constantly be on the lookout for the new people in order to have a show, you know? So Jessica St. Clair, who used to be able to do the show all the time, we had to fit in her recent episode like two months later than we normally do it. And it was the only one she could do that year because she's just incredibly busy making a TV show. So the thing you can't do is grow stagnant with your performers and have the same people on over and over and over and not cultivate new performers because if that happens your performers will get very busy and you'll no longer have a show anymore and now nearing 400 episodes or so uh in in that respect and i mean even the fact you're going to be off recording another show after this one right so many shows being recorded throughout the week throughout the months and so forth are there any particular comedy bang bang episodes that you've got in reserve um or would like to revisit in terms of bringing certain combinations, combinations back yeah you know i mean it, that's the other part and it's sort of related to my previous answer is you know we have a lot of recurring characters on the show and some who have been on for the entire six and a half years that we've been doing it paul f Tompkins, i think did andrew lloyd weber very early on in the show and the trick is to keep those returning favorites coming back because people love them but also try to push yourself to do new things so Paul F. Tompkins, for instance, and Lauren Lapkus, they both have um, great characters in reserve that they can go to that they know are fan favorites, but they're, they keep pushing themselves to do new characters. And when they did the show recently together, they neither of them brought anything in and they just talked to each other and said, hey, what do you want to do? And then improv uh, a radio duo um, characters that they did. And, um, you know, and that's the trick is to not grow stale and just do the same old thing because people get tired of the same old thing and that and you know comedy is very interesting because there are people like yourself or or people like myself who are very interested in comedy and who have a love of comedy and grow older with comedy and keep liking comedy but comedy really is a lot of times for the young <laughs> and you know, I noticed that in the show that I did for 10 years is we, we kept a pretty young audience where it was like, it seemed like everyone was 15 basically every week. 
And that's exciting to me because a lot of people just don't have time for comedy when their lives get too serious. They get married, they have children, they get a career, and they phase comedy out of their life, and they go, oh, yeah, 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 I used to like comedy when I was young. You hear a lot of that, like, oh, yeah, I loved Dane Cook when I was young, but, you know, I'm not interested in comedy anymore, which is too bad. I wish people still, you know, had a love for comedy um, growing old, because I think it's important to the world, but... You know, you really want to hit people when they're young, and you have to know that they're also going to move on after about four years. So you have to keep the show interesting to new people, um, knowing that there's going to be a lot of turnover. And with podcasting, and specifically Comedy Bang Bang, you can I find that there are people that I know, certainly in the UK, who revisit certain episodes, re-listen to them, to reconnect with the same laughter they had previously. Right. And I know for a fact there's a couple of people I know who started listening from scratch recently and so they're listening to a few every week and it's quite interesting to see them catch up and mm -hmm. there's a number of characters from the show uh, from the podcast who have then appeared in in form on the television show sure yeah and unless i've happened to miss any um are, are there any examples of television characters who appeared on the television series first and then have come to the podcast that's interesting i think gosh I'm pretty sure that one is going to at some point, Paul Britton doing novelist Richard Bunn. He did that on the television show first. And uh, that's one that I can think of that we're definitely going to cycle into the rotation. Um, but yeah, usually it's the other way. We do so few of the television shows, although it feels like we've done, you know, we've done 90 <laughs> at this point. So, you know, that's not nothing. But um you know, usually they start out on the podcast, transfer over, or they're exclusive to the television show. But yeah, I'd like to bring some of the ones from the television show into the podcast a little more. Is it still, you mentioned 90, I mean, that's spectacular as it as is, and, and the fact that you barely get the time between seasons to have a pause. Yes. We took breaks in between the first and second and the second and third seasons, but then we've been working straight on the show since the beginning of the third season in... Um, October of 2013, I believe. Um, it's been a weekly job since then. Because we did 40 episodes this year, we finished the third season and had to um, literally start the fourth season the Monday after we wrapped on a Friday. And then we wrapped the fourth season and we had to start again right on the Monday. So it's it's been, um, you know, definitely there's there's been no breaks or no vacations on that. And is it still the case where when the show reaches a certain amount of episodes, it then falls into a certain kind of syndication? Is that still a That's thing? That's possible, but I don't really know. I mean, there has to be interest for that, you know. So it's definitely something we're going to explore. The show is on Netflix, which is a type of syndication almost. But, yeah, I, I, I think it's possible. Um, we'll see what the appetite for it is. I'm hoping that I could, personally, I could see Comedy Bang Bang being sort of late-night channel for... It had that, but Kids in the Hall, that's how they became yeah. known. Um, in the UK, I believe in the early 90s, there was a syndication of all these great cult. I would love that. I mean, I, I think that would be a great way to do it in the UK, finally, is to just start airing them all um, nightly. I know that uh, in Canada, Much Music, they've started airing two every night in order to try to catch up to where we are in the in the air order. Um, so I would love that. I, I think, you know, by the end of the fifth season, we'll have 110 episodes. And, you know, I mean, that's such a large number that I would love it if someone would pick it up for syndication. 
whoever's listening, do that, please. Please, yeah, or just air it in the UK somewhere. I'm, I'm tired of it not being there. <laughs> well, I'll save that question for later. Oh, boy, yeah. this oh. is exciting. I've got just a couple of questions. Uh, generally speaking, in terms of Earwolf, uh, the, specifically the pop culture mm-hmm. um, spin-off Wolf Pop, and how are there any other Earwolf shows which you could envision that you sort of want to develop in the same way as Comedy Bang Bang? Um, in in terms of going outwards beyond a podcast into a television show, sort of uh, maybe taking an animated approach in the same way that they did with the Ricky Gervais shows, if they're not. Sure. Yeah, we. Um, you know, I have a production company called Comedy Bang Bang Productions, which actually started more as an offshoot of Earwolf. It's sort of when we first started it, we were thinking it was going to be an Earwolf thing, and then um, we decided to separate it. Um, But we still are developing Earwolf shows through that. Um, We just shot a pilot for one um, for... uh, Oh, gosh, I shouldn't even say. But but we we did just shoot a pilot literally two weeks ago for one uh, podcast. And um, there are other shows that I that I would love to develop. I think Who Charted could possibly be something. Um, and there are a lot. I mean, I thought uh, I was trying to encourage Nerd Poker, those guys, to do an animated uh, show with it for so long. And then I hear Dan Harmon now is doing it with his show. And just, you know, the issue is just trying to corral the talent into actually doing it you know um but yeah there are definitely i think podcasting is so cool because you can test out things and see how they work before you go through all of the trouble of making a pilot and and spending two hundred thousand dollars on a pilot on untested things you know i don't think i would have ever been given a talk show uh, on television without having a couple hundred podcasts under my belt and experience in doing it where people said, Oh, you know what? He actually does know what he's doing with this, you know? So I I think it's a great way to harvest talent. And, and so I I would hope to do more in the future. Definitely. Well, I'm going to take the, even though we don't know which one it is, I'm going to take the reveal of a podcast being filmed as a pilot as a Sclusi. Yep, it is. Definitely. I don't think I've talked about it at this point and I can't really talk about what it is because it's not my place to do it, but but it might, we might find out either way further down the line. And sure, yeah. Hopefully, I mean, it came out really well. So I'm hoping that it gets, you know, ordered. Brilliant. And before we move on to our last bout, bout of questions from uh, various Comedy Bang Bang UK fans. Oh, boy. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell uh, listeners a bit more about how, as mm-hmm. a service, uh, its significance in the medium of podcasting as a whole and what it means for the future of podcasting. Well, it, yeah, how basically is something that we've been working on for a really long time. It is um, a, as you put it, or as I guess someone on WTF put it, the, the Netflix of podcasts, meaning it's a place where uh, people can go to get all of their podcasts and listen to all of their podcasts, but also get a lot of really cool exclusive uh, stuff that's just made just for the, the site, Howl. Um, and that's sort of where we started with it was making podcasts is a little bit expensive when you want to do it with the quality that we do it with. Um, you know, I think we have some of the best produced sound quality out of any podcasts. Um, and that's because we have a studio and we sort of spread the costs out uh, amongst a bunch of different shows. Um, and you know, some of the bigger shows pay for some of the smaller shows and, and there are certain shows that will probably never make the money back that we spend on them but we do it out of the love for podcasting. But when we talk about sort of that, one thing that in order to to get a, a popular podcast that you have to have is a host who's willing to do it weekly, um, sometimes twice weekly, um, because 
there's nothing like stumbling on a podcast and a guy does it every or or a person i should say does it every once in a while it comes out sporadically you don't know if you're ever going to get another episode and they quit after 10 weeks <laughs> you know so finding um talent who's willing to put as much work as i put into my podcast is a little difficult and that's you know earwolf was was based on people who were willing to put in that time you know the sklar brothers do two shows a week who charted does two shows a week professor blastoff was doing one a week until they got too busy but when we start talking about howl we start saying okay there are people who really want to do podcasts but they cannot do 52 shows a year they want to do 10 and they're really talented people who we would love to do 10 episodes with but we can't spend the amount of money that it would take to to create those 10 shows and then put them out for free knowing that they will never get advertising to pay for them um advertisers will only advertise on a show if they know how many people are going to listen to it and they don't know how many people are going to listen to something until it's been out for a while so that's the conundrum we had is you know we have these great pieces of talent who want to do four episodes ten episodes um, they want to do one episode of something that's really cool and really expensive but how do we pay for it so that's sort of where Hal started is is we want to make content that is a little more expensive and and advertisers can't necessarily justify putting ads on and we want people to be able to hear this so that's where the subscription model sort of started for us was okay well if people pay this really low price of five dollars a month to get every podcast then we can pay for these really cool projects that we want to make as well so um and that's where it, that's where it started, and, and and the jumping off point uh, became that. And then where it is now, at its in its sort of nascent stages, is really interesting. And where it's going to go, I think, is is very very exciting. So it's it's a unique experiment, and and one that we found that the people who sign up for Hal really really enjoy it, and the breadth of content content is really amazing. And we're just gaining new stuff all the time. And so I, I think it's a really exciting opportunity for people. I'm finding that what I'm doing, because there are certain mini-series on there, mm-hmm. I've got the time to investigate each one, study a bit surely, and dip into each other it's one. It's not a weekly commitment for you, so it's not something where if you get four weeks behind, you're like, oh, God, I don't know if I'll ever catch up. Forget it. Yeah. You know, it's something that you can just kind of test out and... and 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 it's sometimes it's you know established people who like Jermaine Clement who um, you know I forget how many episodes he's doing but it's a really interesting show with a lot of production in it and it costs a lot to do and he's a big name um, but it's also these people we found that instead of trying to give new people who we really really admire a show and trying to get advertisers interested we can just give them a show and pay them to do the show um and they're exciting new voices that people can check out without having to try to push a weekly show starring them down people's throats it's quality versus consistency essentially exactly yeah oh. <laughs> um so uh before we wrap things up uh, mm-hmm. i've got a few of these questions right most of them are better than the ones I had written. oh really wow <laughs> oh yeah they're a bit more broad um okay. so this first one's from christopher macarthur boyd um, he asks, what's your advice for someone trying to make good comedy? I think 
Um, you know, I, I was listening to a talkback, or I was participating actually in a talkback after uh, Kevin Pollock's film Misery Loves uh, Comedy. Yes, that's what it's called. And uh, I was on the panel with Kevin Smith, and he said something which was uh, in response to a question a lot like this um, that really struck a chord in me. Which he said, "Your voice is your only currency," and what that means is. A lot of times if you're trying to make entertainment, you can sometimes fall into a trap of trying to write stuff for everybody or saying, oh, not everyone is going to get this joke. How do I write jokes that the most people are going to understand? When really what it is is that makes your voice unique is your voice and your point of view. And so I think it's figuring out what your point of view is, figuring out what you think is funny, and then doing it and having confidence in it and not compromising on that. Um, it can be so easy to water down your voice, but good comedy is made for a niche audience. It really is. Um, that's why, you know, the fact that my TV show uh, has low viewership is kind of a badge of honor to me in the sense of it's some people's absolute favorite television show and other people cannot stand it. And that's the interesting thing about humor is everyone kind of can agree on dramas. Like everyone watches Breaking Bad and goes, that's really exciting. But comedy is made for, if you make it right, it's very specific to people and hits people in a very specific way. So, um, and sometimes that can, people make something very specifically like Borat, for instance, which is made for a niche audience and suddenly it explodes because so many people connect to it. But if you're doing comedy right, you're doing it for a niche audience and you have to expect that and you have to not try to make it so watered down in order to attract the mainstream. I'm going to have to have a think about that as well because it's interesting uh, developing the network and uh, talking to different people who want to get their own voice out there. Mm -hmm. And some of it's comedy, some of it's just sort of conversation generally. I mean, you know, those people can also work on their fundamentals. I, I certainly, like, put a lot of thought into my show and how I present it. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. But in terms of just, if you're trying to do comedy, just work on your own voice and stay true to it. And with podcasting preparation, you've got the, potentially got the time initially to build on that. Exactly, yeah. So a follow-up question uh, from Chris. Oh, is, is that three? Oh, no, it's from Chris Holland. It's different, Chris. Uh, all the Comedy Bang Bang guests seem to be having the most fun time. Has there ever been a guest or on the podcast or TV show who didn't enjoy or was intimidated by the improvisational style of the show? And a follow-up to that, was there anyone from a non-improv background who surprised you as to how much they really got into it? Yeah, you know, my show is, it's kind of a tough sell for new people to appear on it, you know? I mean, I, I work with a lot of publicists when they're trying to get their talent on the show. And, you know, when you're doing an interview, a lot of times it's like, hey, this is going to take a half hour. Or this is going to take 45 minutes, you know? My show is like, I'm asking them to come for 90 minutes, talk about themselves more at a minimum than other shows, and then participate in talking to these crazy comedians doing characters. So it's a little bit of a tough sell, but when people are good at it, um, it's just so thrilling for the audience. You know, we had Tatiana Maslany on from Orphan Black recently, along with Christian Brunn. And, um, you know, they're fans of the show, and it's so cool when a fan comes on who is a well-known person and participates the way that they did. 
um, and gets in on the improv and, and they both did characters and, you know, it's, it's really, really exciting. So that's, that's when I like it the most, but I also like it when people are just kind of baffled by what's happening. <laughs> and, um, I know the musician Peaches was on recently and she was having a ton of fun. Um, and at the end when we were taking breaks, she's like, you guys' minds are working so fast. I can't really keep up, you know, and that's just not what she does. I, I like it when people just participate. Tears for Fears, the band Tears for Fears. They were participating and loving it. It was so much fun. So I really like that. Every once in a rare while, there will be someone on the podcast or the TV show who is not really enjoying themselves. or And it's sort of my job to make them enjoy it and my job to wrangle them. And I always feel poorly when that happens. Um you know, it's it's been a situation I've been in a couple of instances, but I but I actually think it's very for how weird my show is, it's very few and far between, thankfully. And the next question from Paul Lafferty: How do you feel uh, having Howl change how you work? Has it taken more of your time up? It hasn't. You know, it it, it hasn't taken up a lot of my time. I'm you know, even though I'm one of the co-founders of Earwolf. There's a big staff there now. And um, so, you know, people are taking the brunt of the work on this. I really am with the company more in an advisory capacity now. Um, I kind of view myself as the ambassador of, of Earwolf and Howl. And people tend to find out about a lot of what happens around Earwolf through my show. And so that's sort of where I'm at with the company now is is I'm the guy who's out there going... Hey, this is what people should be paying attention to. And when when we started Howl, you know, I'm there in a lot of the meetings about this is what I think people will uh, really respond to. And now that it's out, I'm out there, sort of like taking the temperature of the users and and communicating what people are thinking about it to the people who are specifically involved in it. But you know, Howl has has a person in charge of that, you know? So it's not really taking up as, as much of my time as, as one would think as, as when we first started Earwolf, which took up, you know, so much of our time. So I suppose as an ambassador, it's also a case of pointing out that there's a huge amount of loyal and brilliant staff who are, yeah. are involved as no, well. No, I mean, it's, it's really great. I mean, when I think about how Earwolf really started with Jeff Ulrich and I, and we had, one engineer you know doing all of our shows and posting all of the shows you know and and how much it's grown it's really uh a testament to more jeff than me uh you know his hard work of really just being in the trenches for those first three four years trying to make it work paying people hiring people firing people and you know trying to get advertisers interested you know it's really amazing how far it's grown and a follow-up from Paul is, how much of the podcast is planned? I would say it depends on the episode, but it goes anywhere from 0% to 2%. Um, very once in a rare while, someone will come in and say, hey, here's sort of the area I'm going to do today. I think um, I always try to shut that down because I don't really want to know that much. Um like Brendan Small, for instance, when he comes in as Victor and Tiny, he tends to usually say, oh, by the way, here's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm always like, oh, well, we'll find it. We'll find it. Um, so it's it's not a lot. Um, and, you know, one of the more famous examples, I think, was the very first uh, Bobby Moynihan's Forville episode. 
um, we knew Paul was going to be Andrew Lloyd Webber. And I said, hey, Bobby, what do you want to do today? And he said, I think I want to be like a little orphan boy or something. I said, okay, great. Let's start. And we just press record, you know. And that's that's what's cool about it to me is we can have... This happened with Will Hines a couple of times recently. He came in with something very planned. And within two minutes, a question I asked derailed it to such an extent he could not do the plan thing anymore. So, um, and I didn't know what the plan thing was. Um, and I, I would say when we would take a break, Hey, Will, did we hit the thing that you wanted to hit? And he goes, no, no, it, it, uh, became this other thing, but, but that's, what's thrilling about it to me. And for the people who are performing it is, is we don't know what's going to happen. With that in mind, uh, this is from Rick Neal. How do you get into character for Dabney? <laughs> Dabney is a terrible character that I do. I literally, the last time I did it, I forgot that I was going to have to do it and that um, he existed within this universe of characters. So, I don't know. He's kind of a spry. He's 98 years young, as I recall, and he's uh, but he's very spry and he jumps around a lot. So, I just try to get that mental image in my head. Um, luckily, because he has lived in all 50 states in America, his accent can't be pinned down. So um, it can be really anything. As a fellow Fernwood Tonight fan, I think I was the one who asked you on the Reddit uh, a little while ago, um, Dabney, does that uh, potentially come from Dabney Coleman? Uh, well, his name is Dabney Coleperson. Um, oh. So <laughs> that's his surname is Coleperson. So take what you will from that. Yeah. And, well, uh, last but not least, this is uh, Christopher, Christopher MacArthur Boyd, but uh, everyone in the UK uh, who, I, who I know is a big comedy Bang Bang fan. Uh, sort of a two-part question. Mm -hmm. uh, the first part is, what are the chances of having an Earwolf branch in the UK? And the second part is, what are the, what are the chances of comedy Bang Bang and other Earwolf shows performing in the UK? Um, Edinburgh, Scotland, and Ireland included. It's interesting because the branch thing is something that we have just started in New York, and it's something that we've been talking about for years. Literally, Jeff Ulrich and I were talking about it, I think, in our first year of like, oh, it'd be cool to get a New York thing going because there's so much great talent out there and um, virtually none of them have podcasts, it seems. Or if they do, it's, you know, Todd Berry, who was, when I did it at least, when he first started, was, you know, doing it with room ambience off of his computer mic, you know. So it's, it, we just set up our studio out there um, and I'm really excited about getting that going and having some of the talent out there, you know, recorded in a great way professionally. So that's really exciting. Um, I think... You know, the future is is bright for podcasts, so it would not surprise me if there were an England uh, branch out there at some point. I think that would be really, really exciting. It's interesting, you know, the sort of differences in comedy, you know, between countries. It's something I'm interested in exploring. I've always heard that, you know... British people enjoy their tastes are slightly different, but then, you know, a lot of people really like my show. So as far as performing out there... Uh, it's definitely something I'm looking into. I was just out in London uh, in July. Really enjoyed it. Um, took a look around. Sort of wanted to get a, the lay of the land and figure out the city a little more. I'd never been. And I'm going to be touring um, mid-year next year. And it's something I really want to do. I believe we're going to tour Australia. Uh, so I would like to add a London trip in there as well, sort of maybe break up the, the plane flight or something. So it's something that I am 
literally, I, ha- I have a note on my computer to talk to my uh, booking agent about it, about how do we set up London. So I'm, I'm really hoping that I can do that next year. Well, let, keep us posted and we will spread the word over in the UK. That would be awful if I didn't keep anyone posted. I just showed yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hi. <laughs> Where is everyone? <laughs> well, I, I, I think, um, so yeah, we were talking about venues earlier, Soho Theatre, Leicester mm-hmm. Square Theatre. They're, they're so prominent. I know that uh, Paul F. Tompkins, Jen Kirkman, right. uh, Greg Proops and various other um, American exports i suppose mm-hmm. from imports for your from your perspective i guess although from where we're sitting <laughs> right <laughs> it's tricky um but uh but yeah no i well i'm very very hopeful i hope to do it it's a little more difficult because the television show isn't out there so if the television show were there i would feel confident about oh well i know that there is a good fan base that'll fill the seats but you know the podcast is really popular and, and we can track how many people listen to it in london so you know i'm really hoping to go out there because that's one of the number one questions i hear all the time is is when are you coming out here and when is the tv show going to be broadcast here so scott thank you so much for this it's my been pleasure fantastic and uh, uh did, did you want to leave uh, our audience with a festive message at all um feliz navidad Cumpleaños uh, de Jesus. Um, you know, enjoy the Doctor Who Christmas special, which I'm sure will be coming out soon. Um, who knows? He met Santa last year. Who Spo- knows what he's up to this year? Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, and, uh, you know, have a good new year while you're at it. You know, a lot of people leave that off the list. Nope, I'll put it in. Scott, thank you. Thank you. Once again, a huge thank you to Scott for joining me on this episode of PodPit. You can follow Scott on Twitter via at Scott Ackerman, S-C-O-T-T-A-U-K-E-R-M-A-N, and go to www.earwolf.com and check out Comedy Bang Bang, as well as all of the fantastic shows, both on there and on www.wolfpop.com. Over the holiday period, why not treat yourself to Hal.fm, the premium podcasting service? Go to Hal.fm, click on Start Your Free Trial, and dip into all the exclusive content that the site provides. There are so many shows to listen to on there, and you'll most certainly find that you'll need more than a week to listen to everything. So, after your free week, all you need to do is pay a mere $4.99 a month, and you'll have the entire Earwolf and Wolf Pop archives, as well as Mark Maron's WTF, a large selection of comedy albums from all your favourites, as well as podcasts exclusive to HAL.FM, all available at any time at your fingertips. How's that for a Christmas present? I would also like to take a moment and say a huge thank you to you, the listener, not just of this podcast, but of all our shows on the Podnose Network. As of the time of recording, the Podnose Network now promotes 20 independent entertainment podcasts. Some have been going for some time, developing their own growing audience, while others have just started out and are in the process of building a loyal following. There are other shows built for a limited run and continue to be discovered or revisited as time goes on. There's even a couple on the site that are ready to begin within weeks. At present, the primary intention is to build our audience as a whole, spread the word about podcasting as a creative medium, and encourage others to do the same. Eventually, we will look into how we can build Podnose into a business, but for now, we want to focus on creating a community. It is through this particular podcast, PodPit, in which I would like to try and help build awareness in the UK about the potential of podcasting. With that in mind, I encourage you not just to check out the shows at www.podnose.com, but to also venture out and see what podcasting as a medium can do internationally. A lot is happening right now, and the beauty of it all is that you can be a part of it. If you have an idea, feel inspired, want to make people aware of something close to you, develop fiction, elaborate on reality, or generally need a creative outlet, now is the time to get in touch. 
There is nothing too niche or obscure that can't be developed into something inspiring and creative, or at the very least, interesting. If you have any questions, queries, looking for advice, would like to come on board behind the scenes, or even host your own show, get in touch via admin at podnose.com. Podnose wishes all of its hosts, guests, technicians, followers, and of course, listeners, a very Merry Christmas, season's greetings, jolly holidays, and a Happy New Year. 2016 is set to be a big year for us here at Podnose, and we hope you'll join us for the ride. I'll see you in January for another episode of Podpit. Bye for now. Podpit is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network. Hosted, edited, and produced by George Grimwood. Visit us at www.podnose.com and get in touch via admin at podnose.com.